Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles uh, with me this morning to Job chapter 25. Uh, Job chapter 24 is somewhat a repetition of some things that were said earlier. So we're going to kind of move into uh, Job chapter 25 uh, this morning. And we'll look through uh, 25, 26, 27, 28. So we're in the third round of Job's interaction with his three friends. And so we're in round three. And we've come to the last speech of these three friends. And it comes from Bildad. And if you look at uh, chapter 25... Uh, something will stand out to you quite quickly, and it's the brevity of this chapter. It's very, very short. And it seems that Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, the three friends of Job, have basically run out of gas. Uh, they have basically been speaking against Job, and Job has been responding to their attacks. And they are basically all spent and utterly worn out by the exchange. They've made really no progress at all. The three friends have really come to Job like three lumberjacks, hoping to topple the tree of his self-righteousness as they understand Job. They have hacked and sawed and chopped on the wood of his soul with their words. And yet Job has resisted with the perseverance of petrified wood by the grace of God. Job has been bitten by their venomous words and he has survived by the antidote of clinging to his own righteousness, his innocence, his faith in God, the antidote of his hope of ultimate vindication and redemption, the antidote of the goodness and the sovereignty of God and the hope of the resurrection. And all of this has sustained him during this brutal attack by his friends. But still, understanding the ways of God is a mystery to Job. He does, he does not understand what God is doing. So the main theme of the chapters that we'll be looking at this morning is the challenge of finding wisdom. And we're all faced with challenges today in the world in which we live or challenges in your own personal life. And what we need most is wisdom. Not just any old wisdom, but wisdom that comes from God, comes from above not the wisdom that comes from below. Wisdom that helps us to understand our circumstances. To live at peace with them in a certain sense. To explain our sufferings, our losses, our crosses. We need wisdom to make the right choices in life. We need wisdom to know how to glorify God and how we respond to the circumstances and the obstacles that we face. Wisdom is one of God's greatest treasures that He gives to His people. And Solomon chose 
wisdom over riches, long life, or the life of his enemies. And therein lies his wisdom, that he chose wisdom. And here we see the infinitely superior value of wisdom, for example, in the book of Proverbs, where Solomon writes of wisdom that her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her, that is with God's wisdom. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. That's what we need is wisdom. Wisdom and understanding the chaos, the confusion of our own world. And wisdom to understand what's happening in our lives oftentimes that brings such conflict and suffering our way. So what we need is wisdom. But wisdom is very elusive. It's very difficult to find in certain areas of our life. And this is what Job is experiencing. He treasures God's wisdom, but he doesn't understand. He hasn't found God's wisdom in understanding his circumstances. The very thing he's wrestling with, the very thing that's bringing such pain and agony to his life, he's trying to understand, but he doesn't grasp God's wisdom. It's beyond him. And so what we're going to find in this uh, series of chapters is just the challenge of finding wisdom. So let's kind of launch into this. <clears throat> so we're going to look at chapter 25, which is Bildad's final puff. And uh, we're going to find a couple of things in here. Basically, he's going to point... He, he can't really refute what Job has said. And Job has uh, briefly shot down their view of how God works with men. Because remember, they say God always blesses the righteous and He always curses the wicked. So, Job, since you have great suffering, because you have great sin, you need to repent. That's their way God is working in the world. That was Job's understanding. But Job looked around and he looked, we saw this last week, he just saw the experience of men that it just didn't seem to make sense. That the righteous oftentimes suffer and the wicked oftentimes seems to be prosperous and healthy. That the reality of life seems to contradict that orthodox view of how God deals with people. So, so Job is struggling to understand the wisdom of God. So Bildad comes and he doesn't even respond to that. But he basically makes the point that Job, God is great. God is majestic. And you're an unrighteous worm. You're a maggot. So why in the world are you claiming that you're innocent and that you don't deserve what's happening to you because of your sin? That's kind of what he's saying in verse 25, uh, chapter 25. So let's pick it up in verse 2. Dominion and all belong to Him who establishes peace in His heights. Is there any number to His troops or His armies? 
And upon whom does he does his light not rise? How then can man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of woman? If even the moon has no brightness and the suns are not pure in his sight, how much less man that maggot and the son of man that worm? Now there's a lot of good theology in here. I mean, worm theology is biblical theology. But, and he magnifies God and all of that is correct and good. The problem is he's misapplying it. He's taking truth and he thinks he understands the wisdom of God. It's very simple. Job, you're a great sinner. Job, that's why you have great suffering. That's God's wisdom. But he doesn't understand God's wisdom. That's not the reason why Job is suffering. We know that because we have chapters 1 and 2. But they think they have God's wisdom. They're speaking truth here, but they're misapplying it. It doesn't apply to Job in his current circumstances. And so they claim to have the wisdom of God, and he's rebuking Job apparently for his, quote, self-righteous spirit, at least the way they view it. And in effect, he's saying, how can Job, how can you being a mere worm as you are, dare to imagine that you can be counted innocent before an all-holy God? Job, you're just, you're guilty of great sin, thus you have great suffering. So that kind of sums up Bildad's last attempt to bring down Job. So now we come to Job's final speech of the book. And this is going to go for six chapters, a long speech. And basically we'll look at verse of chapter 26 where he responds to Bildad. And then what follows in the next five chapters are two monologues from Job. And we'll look at the first one this morning, chapters 27 and 28. Lord willing, we'll look at the second monologue uh, the next time. And then after Job gets through speaking, the three friends are put off on the sideline and here comes a fourth friend who appears on the stage for the first time and his name is Elihu. And he's going to speak to Job for six chapters, a long speech, and then enters God. And God will speak for four chapters, and he sets everything right in what he says to Job. And then the final chapter is the wrap-up and and how uh, Job will repent and God will restore him. So that's kind of where we're at in the book. So what we're going to do is look at chapter 26, 27, 28 of this last final speech of Job, at least as speaking in regard to his friends. So let's look at chapter 26. And in the first couple of verses, we find that uh, Job is basically mocking Bildad's words. And then starting in verse 6, actually verse 5, Job is agreeing with Bildad. He's saying, God is great. What you've said about the greatness of God, I agree 100% with. So basically, he's just showing some agreement. So let's begin in verse 6 of chapter 26. And this is really quite an amazing description of God. Naked is Sheol before him, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. 
He wraps up the waters in his clouds and the clouds and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. And he inscribed a circle on the face of the waters and at the boundary of light and darkness. And then we get to verse, drop down to verse 14 where he says, Behold, these are the very fringes of his ways. So he describes God as this incredible creator. And there's some scientific information that he gives that we'll look at, at a, later on, uh, which is really quite amazing about how he inscribes a circle on the surface of the waters, how he hangs the earth on nothing, things that he could not have known apart from divine revelation. But he says all of this is merely the fringes. It's very the edges of his ways. So God is majestic. God is great. Job is in complete agreement with that. So that's his response to Bildad. And then in chapter 27, Job now reexamines the prevailing wisdom of the day. So in chapter 27, we find in verses 5 and 6 where he asserts his righteousness again. Okay, This is something he's held to throughout all the interaction with his friends. And notice what he says in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 27. He says, Far be it from me that I should declare you right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. Now again, he's not saying he's completely, totally sinless. But he, he, is, he believes that he is righteous in spite of their accusations that he's guilty of tremendous sins. And that's the cause of his suffering. His heart, has his conscience has spoken to him that he, he has not committed any of these great sins that would bring this kind of suffering in his life. So he's clinging to his own righteousness in that regard. In verses 7-12, through 12, he rebukes his friends. They were no help at all. Uh, they were just basically worthless counselors. And then in verses 13-23, through 23, we get into a bit of a challenging passage in this speech of Job where he... Uh, basically recites the portion of the wicked, the judgments upon the wicked. And he's probably reciting the prevalent orthodox view of the day, which he has already refuted earlier, but he's just repeating it. But it's a bit of a challenging passage. And then from there we move into chapter 28, which is where I want us to spend uh, most of our time this morning. We come to chapter uh, 28 where Job now really gets into the challenge of, of finding wisdom. And the first thing he says in the first 11 verses is that human ingenuity can discover a lot of incredible things. They can, in, they can discover all this wealth in the ground, but they cannot discover wisdom from God. So let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 28. 
Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and in deep shadow. In other words, he's talking about the work of miners going deep down into the ground. Verse 4. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth, from it comes food, and underneath it, turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has a falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. But he puts his hand on the flint, he overturns the mountains at the base, he hews out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. So what Job is saying in this passage is man is, is incredible. He can dig deep down into the ground that even the, the sharpest eye of the eagle and the, and the falcon can't penetrate to the depths of the earth that, that men can mine. The lion with all of his strength, he can't dig down that deep, but man can. And he can, he can excavate the very treasures of the earth, the gold, the, the silver, the sapphires, the precious stones, the iron. He can dig all these treasures up out of the ground. And the irony is, is that man has wisdom to mine. And what is wisdom? Wisdom means skillful living. Man has wisdom to do that kind of work. But man has no skill, no ability to discover the true wisdom from God that explains how life works in the world, how disasters have a role in, in what takes place. Man has no wisdom to explain it. This is what Job is wrestling with. Why am I suffering? I have not committed any great huge sins against God to bring all of this upon my life. Why am I suffering? He cannot excavate the wisdom of God to explain it. So in these first 11 verses, what Job is getting at is that God in His common grace has given man great knowledge, great ingenuity, great technological skill to do amazing things but he still can't discover the knowledge of God's wisdom. So from there, he goes in the next section, verses 12 through 22, that wisdom cannot be found on earth. Can't find it here. Nor can you buy it with money. So let me read this section, starting in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? In other words, it's not deep down in the ground where, where God has laid other treasures. You can't find wisdom down in there. Verse 13. Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. 
the deep, that is the bottom of the oceans, says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed in its, as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. In other words, even when you die and you go to Abaddon and you go to death in the grave, all they will say, well, you know, I've heard there's a report that there is wisdom, but it's not here either. That's kind of the point that that he's making. So in this passage, what Job is emphasizing in verse 12 and 13, that man does not know the value of wisdom. Oh, we value the wisdom of man. We, da- we value that wisdom that is earthly and demonic. But we don't value God's wisdom. We don't treasure God's wisdom. We treasure the wisdom of men. In verse 14, again, he's emphasizing along with verse 22 that the depths of the oceans and even the grave and Abaddon itself do not have wisdom, nor do they know where it is. So that you cannot find God's wisdom in the earth. You can't find it in the ivory towers of the universities. You can't find it in the halls of political power or in the legal courts of the land. The world does not know where wisdom is. You cannot find it in this world among the land of the living. In verses 15 through 19 again, he says you can't buy it either. You can't pay gold or silver to God. You can't use precious stones like the onyx or the sapphire or the topaz or use coral or crystal and and somehow pay that to get wisdom. It's not for sale. You can't find it. You can't dig for it. You can't buy it. It's not to be found on earth. It's not to be found among men. In verses 20 through 22, Job again is emphasizing that this wisdom is hidden from all the living, that the sharp eyes of the bird are blind to it. You just cannot find it on earth. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. So men treasure up human earthly wisdom, but that's really folly. And the wisdom of man ultimately turns to foolishness. Sadly, the mind of man has an evil bent to it. 
so that although God has given us much common grace to dig and invent and do all kinds of incredible things, we ultimately take that and bend it towards an evil path. That's the nature of man. Man can grow in knowledge, but we cannot find God's wisdom. So man can, again, man is a very ingenious in being able to create things. I mean, look at cell phones and social media. And, and much of that is a blessing. It can put us in constant and instant contact with family and friends. But the evil hearts of men can turn those things to evil. So that big tech can control us and deny free speech and spy on us through all the social media that we're involved in. Education is good. The mind of man. We can invent schools and we can make universities and we can put in computers and help people be prepared for their future employment. All that's good and well, but again, the evil bent of man can turn that in a bad direction. Instead, those halls of education can indoctrinate kids to reject God and reject biblical morality reject our own history, the principles of our Constitution, and in their place promote a woke ideology. Men can take what can be something good given to us by God's common grace and pervert it and distort it. The mind of man is incredible. I mean, in terms of medicine. mind of man can cure, can invent things that can help to cure cancer. By the grace of God. But modern medicine that can do so many things can be turned by the evil bent of men in the direction of performing sex change operations on children who are being taught to deny their God-given gender and permanently mutilate their bodies. Science, what a blessing. Man can... Go deep into space and with the Hubble telescope and other things, they can see deep, penetrate deeply into, into space and just learn how vast and, and huge our universe is. But it can't understand the universe. It doesn't have the wisdom to understand it. So the natural mind of man will look at the universe, see how great it is, and say, how did it all come to pass? Through the Big Bang. What caused the Big Bang? They don't know. But the Big Bang is to explain how the whole universe came to be. It's all through naturalistic processes which deny the existence of God. You can't even teach intelligent design, which is a far, far way from getting to the biblical God, but you can't even teach that in universities today. What I think Job is emphasizing for us to glean from this is God's wisdom isn't found here. Man cannot come up with it. We cannot discover it on our own. God's wisdom is beyond us. It's too deep. It's too high. We cannot attain to it. Man cannot discern God's wisdom and how He rules His universe. We don't understand why and how things happen the way they do in the world in which we live. The ways that 
God governs His universe is often mysterious to us. And God alone knows His purpose, His plan, and His ways. We just simply cannot understand God's wisdom. Isaiah emphasized this when he quoted God saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we can't hope to ever really understand the wisdom of God on our own unless God reveals it to us. Spurgeon said, quote, The powers we possess as men are absolutely insignificant compared with God. In trying to comprehend the Almighty, we are like a child with a thimble seeking to tell the size of the sea. We can hold no more than a thimble full of it. And beside that, our thimble leaks. The powers that we have are warped and spoiled by sin and sinful influence. So he's saying, in effect, that we try to explain the infinite God with His infinite wisdom with our little brains the size of a thimble. Like a little child trying to explain the vastness of the sea by getting a little bit of water in his thimble. And even though the water is leaking out and the, and the level is going down, he, he tries to explain the vastness of the oceans with his little mind that can only hold a thimble full of water. How can we begin to think that we can understand the vast, infinite, glorious wisdom of Almighty God? We can't. So that brings us to the third point in this chapter where Job says, God alone has wisdom and gives it as a gift when he chooses to give it. Look at verse 23 of Job chapter 28. God understands its way, talking about wisdom, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man, he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So what he begins to say in verse 23 and 24, is that only God knows wisdom. Only God understands its ways. He sees everything. He knows everything. He is the author of wisdom alone. In verse 25 and 26, God sovereignly controls the weather that appears to be random to us. He determines the weight of the wind, that is the speed and the effect and the force of the wind. The number of the raindrops, He determines. The exact path of the thunderbolt, God is in control of. Whether it will sprinkle or whether the rain will be a downpour, God knows, but we don't. 
How many lightning strikes will there be? A few or many? God knows because He's in control. He has the wisdom. He understands how everything works. He's behind it all. But man cannot achieve that. And even for believers, we also struggle to understand the ways of God in the world at times. Why would God allow for forces of evil to prevail? And godly values to be suppressed in our world. I mean, I, I think about this often. I'm sure you, you do as well. Why are Christians persecuted and, and, and sometimes put to death in other countries? Why does God allow that? Why does God allow for tragedies and sufferings and injustice and, and death to occur in His world? He's a good God. He's a wise God. He's a holy God. And we can struggle with understanding the ways of God. Why is America sinking and falling? Why are the things happening in our country the way they are? See, for us, it's kind of like trying to work a jigsaw puzzle. And you open up the box, let's say there's a thousand pieces of the puzzle in the box, and you open it up and you dump it all on the table. And you start to work slowly to try to put together the picture. And if you're like me, it doesn't take too long before you're totally baffled. And you've been holding a piece in your hand for about 30 minutes trying to figure out where it goes and you don't have a clue. And what, you, what do you need to, to look at? The picture on the box, right? But you can't find it. It's gone. So here you got all these pieces and they don't seem to fit together right and you don't have the guidance of knowing the big picture of how it beautifully all puts, fits together and creates a, a masterpiece of grace for the glory of God. And that's what our lives sometimes can be like. We can be like all these loose pieces that don't fit and circumstances aren't working out and I've got this problem area in my life and that, that doesn't fit in my life very well either and I've got all these, this chaos going on and we, and we don't have the wisdom of God to, to see the majesty of His wisdom in it all. Or you look at the world and you just see how much evil is triumphing and you just wonder, Lord, what's going on? But you see, God is the one who designed the puzzle. He designed every piece. Every little cut in every single piece He ordained. He designed the picture on the box. He crafted and designed the way every piece is to fit together to produce a masterpiece again of His grace for His glory. And all we see are just the bits and pieces of it now. So God has the wisdom because He's the Creator. He made it all. He designed it all. He controls it all. He causes it to progress according to His will. So the wisdom belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. So how, how do we respond then to all of this? And I think there's, there's two ways we should respond to the mysteriousness of the ways of God to, to, to try to get closer to understand the wisdom of God. The first thing is that we need to admit that we don't have wisdom and we can't find it on our own. 
And I think this is, uh, can bring some peace into some of our lives that are so uptight trying to understand why things are going the way they're going. And people can get so wrapped up in that, it can be a source of, of added anxiety and fear and turmoil in their life because they're trying to understand. They're trying to figure it all out. But we can't figure it all out. It's very confusing to us. It's very mysterious to us. And the first thing we need to realize is I don't have the wisdom of God to understand all the details and how it all fits together. And, and it's not within me to, to have that wisdom. And God often chooses not to give me that wisdom. That God keeps that wisdom for Himself. I'm reminded again of Deuteronomy 29.29 that says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So that God has His secret things. His things that He doesn't intend for us to understand. So that we can look at our individual life or we can look at the world and we can say this is incomprehensible. It's mysterious. I don't understand, Lord, what You're doing. But God has a plan. And it's a wise plan. And the first thing we need to do is to admit that we don't understand it and that's okay. God has His secret things that belong to Him alone and I just need to follow what He's revealed. Now Job's friends thought that they knew God's wisdom and that's why they were too quick to wrongly accuse Job of suffering due to great sins. But they knew nothing of the role of Satan in all of that. They knew nothing of the plan of God in all of that. So they really didn't have any wisdom at all. And the first part of wisdom is to acknowledge that we don't have wisdom. That God has it all. The second part that I think we need to learn is that when we don't understand the ways of God, we trust in God's wisdom and focus on what He has revealed for us to do, and that's to fear God. To walk in the fear of God. That's what Job closes this chapter with in verse 28, where God says to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So that ultimately what we find here is that the Lord is telling us, look, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm not going to give my wisdom to you and all the details of what I'm accomplishing in your life or in the world. But you just need to trust in my wisdom. Because it's all going to work out for my glory and ultimately for your good. You just have to trust. So trusting God is an important response particularly in confusion when we don't understand what God is doing. But also to fear God. We're to trust God, but we're to fear the Lord. That is wisdom. That's all the wisdom we need. When I don't understand what the Lord is doing, my wisdom is to fear God. And what does it mean to fear God anyway? Well, we reverence God, but Turning away from evil is how we fear the Lord. That's godly wisdom. Being obedient to God, that's how we fear God. It reminds me of the final verses of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, another book 
devoted to wisdom. He says the conclusion when all has been heard is, is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's how we fear God. You fear God when you keep His commandments. When you do what His Word tells us to do. Because this applies to every person for God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So what Job says at the end in verse 28 is look, when everything seems chaotic, when you're looking at all these individual jigsaw puzzle pieces and you don't have a clue as to how it all fits together, it's all in a pile and you had not even got them all turned right side up yet. He says, what you need to do is to trust me, trust my wisdom, and then just fear God. Just fear God. Walk in obedience. You don't understand what's going on? That's all right. God understands. You obey me. You walk in obedience. You turn away from sin. You turn away from evil. And you set your path to follow me. That's your wisdom. God doesn't have to give you all the answers to the why this or why that in your life or in the world. He just says, trust me. But as you're trusting me, though you're in this bog that you don't understand what's going on, you set your heart to fear me. You keep walking in obedience. You keep turning away from evil. And don't ever let the chaos in your life be an excuse for you to give in to sin. So never let the uncertainty of not knowing what God is doing open a door for you to say, well, then it's okay for me to go ahead and sin. No, fear God. Walk in obedience to His laws. Keep His commandments. Deny yourself. Turn away from evil. Pursue righteousness. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. You fear God. So what? What the Spirit of God has enabled Job to do in the midst of all of this suffering and not knowing the wisdom of God behind it is to come to the place of practical wisdom which says that, yes, Lord, I don't understand what You're doing. I can't figure it out. Oftentimes, You're not going to give me the answers to all my why questions, Lord, But what you want me to do is just to keep on walking with you. And that's wisdom. Fear God. Trust in Him. Trust in His wisdom. He has a plan. He's working it out. But you set your face to walk with me. So that even when we're going through trials, I think what Job is telling us is don't always try to figure it out on your own. To try to understand the ways of God. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't understand them oftentimes. Don't try to meddle with His secret will. Just trust God. Because this wisdom is not knowing the answer to all of our questions, but simply trusting and obeying God. Trust and obey. That kind of sums it up. Fear God. Trust God. Obey God. Just trust and obey. Can we still seek for wisdom and understanding? Of course. James says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. 
Yeah, keep seeking wisdom from God. But He may not give it to you in the area that you desire. And that's when we need to trust and obey. Ultimately for us, where is our wisdom found? It's found in Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the wisdom that we need to live a God-honoring life is found in Jesus Christ. Christ crucified and raised from the dead, that ultimately is our wisdom. But the wisdom of Christ, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, is still a wisdom that is not like human wisdom. It's a wisdom that has mystery in it as well. In 1 Corinthians 2.7, Paul says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. But there's something about the wisdom distilled in Christ that is a wisdom that still is just not human in a certain way. It's a wisdom that this world cannot understand. Just think of it. The messianic king, the God of glory, came down in human flesh to live among men. Can we really understand that? To be conceived in the womb of a virgin? To be a little baby in a cradle that's crying when he's hungry? Who has to have his diaper changed? And yet that little baby in the cradle in His divine nature is upholding the universe by His power. He is controlling all things. The divine nature of that little baby who is fully man and yet fully God. That wisdom defies human logic. How can it be that this little baby who grew up to be a man that in his poverty he would make so many rich, that by his death he would give so many life, that through his defeat on the cross would come about his greatest victory, that through his cross he would receive his crown, that a carpenter from Nazareth would be the Savior of the world, that out of the greatest evil act of all human history, crucifying Jesus Christ, would come the greatest good out of all human history that defies human wisdom. And even the principles of His kingdom turn the world upside down. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Who's the greatest in His kingdom? Not the mighty and the powerful, but the least, the lowest, the servant. He's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who could ever envision that sinners who deserve the wrath of God can be totally and completely forgiven and declared righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ totally apart from their works can receive the free gift of eternal life. That is not human wisdom or logic. God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, 
the despised things to nullify the prized things. This is the mystery of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. It turns the world upside down. Worldly happiness is found in riches and health and the freedom to pursue the lusts of our hearts. But it leads only to ruin and death. True happiness is found in humility and repentance and seeking God's favor in Jesus Christ and seeking reconciliation with men. That's true wisdom. That's true happiness. You see, the prodigal son thought that he was happy when he was got his inheritance and was rich and outspending it and, and wasting it on, on prostitutes. And, and, and he thought he was really happy. But he wasn't. It brought him to a position of being wretched and miserable and consigned to a pig pen to feed swine. But when he humbled himself due to his sin and confessed his sins to God and his heart returned back home, then he found true happiness in his father's house. See, the, the ways of God are not the ways of men. The wisdom of God cannot be found among men. It's something that God has and only God can give. To the world, God's wisdom is folly. To preach Christ crucified as a source of salvation, a dead man raised from the dead as the only one who can save us from our sins. To the Jews, that's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, Christ crucified is foolishness. But to the called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, God's wisdom ultimately lies behind everything that seems wrong in your life. God's wisdom is ultimately behind everything that seems wrong in this world. Why is there a Satan? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Why is the church persecuted? Why are biblical values being trampled? Why is the wisdom, what is the wisdom that can explain all of this? And it's the wisdom that God alone has. And it's a wisdom that He alone can understand because He is the author of all things and is a good, holy, wise God, and He knows. We don't know. We can't figure it out. But it's all according to His wise, holy, sovereign purpose for His glory. And ultimately, we have to end up there. We have no right to complain or contend. And later on in Job chapter 40, after God speaks, Job will say, Behold, I'm insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. He finally realizes he doesn't understand why he's suffering, but he has no right to complain against God once he gets a glimpse of the true majesty and greatness of God. We can't complain. Paul said in Romans 9, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? 
so that the wisdom we need is not necessarily the ability to explain all the things that happen to us in life or to understand our sufferings or to understand our trials. That's not the wisdom we ultimately need. We need the wisdom that says, trust God, He knows, He understands, and while you're trusting God, fear God. Walk in obedience. Walk in righteousness. Repent of your sin. Trust Him. Live godly in Christ. Though you do not understand the world or your own life, you trust in God and you fear God. Wisdom is not knowing how things work or why they work. Wisdom is trusting the one who does understand those questions. It was once told of the automaker Henry Ford who asked an electrical genius by the name of Charlie Steinmetz to build generators for his factory. So Steinmetz built all these generators. They're working great until one day they weren't working so great. They all ground to a halt. And the repairman couldn't find the problem, so Ford called Steinmetz, who tinkered with the machines for a few hours and threw a switch and all the generators started working again. And then Ford got a bill for $10,000 from Steinmetz and flabbergasted this tight-fisted, tight-wad genius of a man, automaker, called him up and said, $10,000? you got to be kidding. How, how can you bill me for $10,000? And Steinmetz said, well, for the hour I spent tinkering on your stuff, $10 for that. But to know where to tinker with that stuff, $9,990. Well, we live in a broken world and only God knows how to fix it. And one day He will fix it. One way or another, He's ultimately going to fix it. But the answers to how to fix it belongs to the One who created it, who invented it, who controls it, And that's God. And Ford knew the wisdom and he paid the $10,000 because Steinmetz knew how it worked. He invented it. He made it. And he fixed it. We can't fix the world. You can't fix all the problems in your life. You just have to trust God and know that He's working His purpose in it. And while you're trusting in God, Fear God. Walk in obedience to Him. Trust and obey. That's the wisdom that Job teaches us. And may the Spirit of God help us to learn it and apply it in our life as well. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we do uh, thank You for some of these insights that we can glean from this amazing book of Job. And we thank You, Lord, especially that though through all of these conversations You never told Job the answer to the question why he was suffering. But through it all, Your Spirit guided him to learn how to trust in You in the midst of not knowing the answer. 
and to set his face to continue to fear God, to walk in obedience, to turn away from evil, and trusting all the unanswered questions into the hands of a God who is infinitely wise. And Lord, teach us to do that as well, that we may give you honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.